Thursday has arrived, and it's the August 27, 2020 edition of the Charlottesville Community Engagement Newscast. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, creator of the Charlottesville Podcasting Network. Today's Patreon-fueled shout-out comes from an anonymous supporter who wants to say, We keep each other safe. Wear a mask, wash your hands, and keep your distance. There are another 1,121 cases of COVID-19 reported by the Virginia Department of Health this morning for a cumulative number of 116,579 to date. There are an additional 12 deaths in the state for a total of 2,527. The seven-day positive testing rate increased to 6.5% this morning, up from 6.4% yesterday. There are another 27 cases in the Thomas Jefferson Health District and an additional death for a total of 48 in the district to date. The University of Virginia has released an online dashboard that tracks COVID-19 cases among faculty, staff, and students. As of this morning, there are a total of 14 positive results among those tested, with all of those listed as students. The public dashboard does not include the number of tests conducted, which would yield a positive test rate. The dashboard indicates that there are no students in isolation, but 5% of the rooms UVA has set aside for quarantine students are currently occupied. If the pandemic had not happened, students in Albemarle and Charlottesville Public Schools would have already started classes in person. However, they won't start virtual learning now until September 8th, the day after Labor Day. The issue of school opening was discussed at length yesterday as part of the Leadership Charlottesville Alumni Association's Courageous Conversations series. Juan Diego Wade, a member of the Charlottesville School Board, said that before that body made their decision to go virtual, there was a lot of correspondence in favor of opening the schools. And for us as decision makers, at least, you know, at this point, I'm speaking for myself, safety was above all, and that was safety for the students, with the teachers and ultimately the entire community. September the 8th was not going to be um, time for us to bring back the students in person. The majority of students in Albemarle will go to school virtually, but some special needs students and English language learners will attend in person. Students with no access to internet at home can also physically go to class if no options can be made available. Letitia Wilson, the principal at Stony Point Elementary School, explains how those pupils have been selected. For special education, the count, our special education department developed um, some very specific criteria that they looked at and looked at the needs of the students um, to see which students they could provide services for in a virtual environment and which students really required um, being in person. And then um, as far as students who didn't have access, they really worked hard to create equity because that was definitely a challenge in the spring. Um, we already knew that you know, many of our students didn't have access, but the turnaround was so quick. The architectural firm BMDO has the contract to reconfigure city schools at Walker and Buford, but that project is on hold due to the pandemic. Architect Sean Mulligan said this offers the chance to think about how schools can be redesigned, He said the work happening now to make sure all students have access to education will inform the future redesign. How do we how do we know that each family is getting the service that they need? Each student is able to thrive uh, to their best of their abilities. And how do we as architects and we as a community create the kind of full wraparound services, both that the school can provide, but then the after hours care, the before hours care, the family support that's necessary to really make sure that families and students are supported through this really difficult time. 
Mulligan said there is also an effort to create a civilian education corps to help with the long-term effects of virtual education. I believe that right now we are looking at a, a massive and looming equity crisis. Um, I think our country is having a deep, uh, uh, detailed and, and, and really probing conversation about the history of, of race and racism in our, in our society and the effects that it's had on, on individuals and their families and on, on communities. The Charlottesville Tree Commission met for the first time yesterday since the pandemic began and welcomed four new members to the group. The first line of the group's purpose statement reads, The Tree Commission will serve strictly in an advisory role assisting City Council, the Planning Commission, and City staff on issues regarding tree planting, protection, preservation, and removal. However, some members of the commission say they have struggled to be heard by any of those groups, and some have put together a presentation to explain the roles trees play in a community that is healthy and equitable, hence the need for a tree commission. Generally, our main guiding thing is to protect and improve the urban forest. That's Paul Josie, a member of the tree commission. This year, the city will get an update on the tree canopy, the percentage of city land covered by trees. According to the city's website, the tree canopy decreased from 47% to 45% from 2009 to 2014. Josie said areas with low tree cover are unhealthier and tend to be in areas with low income. There are these hot spots, and in these hot spots, there are also higher um, amounts of heat-related um, illnesses. That's heat stroke, heat exhaustion, uh, heat cramps, and Heat is actually the number one um, most deadly weather-related hazard in the U.S. Josie said the city needs to do more to enforce regulations and policies intended to increase tree cover. And in his presentation, he made the case for the Tree Commission to play a stronger role in reviewing site plans for development. We have a lot of um, talent reading site plans on the commission who can sort of look at these and know the codes and say, well, these are opportunities, these are areas where maybe we've missed and thinking about the big picture one. So we've worked on a lot of um, advisory comments for these groups. We're not a, a binding um, commentary group. Our comments are just really to help the developer. However, Josie said no site plans have been shared with the Tree Commission since Teron Richardson took over as city manager last year. Josie is asking for that to change. The full presentation can be viewed on the city's webpage. Today in meetings, the Regional Transit Partnership meets virtually at 4 p.m., and the Places 29 Rio Community Advisory Committee meets at 6 p.m. One potential link between those meetings is the role that bus service might play in alleviating congestion issues on Rio Road. But today, the RTP is scheduled to hear an update on Jaunt's plans to introduce an on-demand service. They'll also be briefed on the intrastate bus route that now travels through Virginia between Danville and D.C., the Places 29 Rio Committee will get an update on the city's housing policy, which is under development. There is also a community meeting for a special use permit for an auto dealership on US 29. And that's it for today's edition of the Charlottesville Community Engagement Newsletter and Newscast. Thank you for listening. And as always, uh, if you heard it, please send it on to somebody else who you think might benefit. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of the program. And if you would like to support it, please sign up for a paid subscription on Substack or donate some money through the Patreon account. Both of those options will help fuel the business that I'm creating, get off the ground, and hopefully to continue to follow up on all of these issues well into the future. Thanks for listening and stay safe out there today.